1: All right, welcome back to the Baseball America Fantasy Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Ponce, one of the prospect writers here. As always on the Fantasy Podcast, I am joined by my partner in crime, our lead fantasy analyst, the number one preseason favorite in TGFBI, Dylan White. How's it
0: going, man? How are you? <laughs> Not too bad. I'm jealous. You're, you're sitting in a hotel room in Florida. I'm about to get eight inches of snow in Toronto, so... Uh... <laughs> Bit of a we we have both ends of the spectrum covered today. That sounds like a Drake lyric, honestly. (laughs) That sounds like a
1: Drake lyric. You get a foot of snow in Toronto, and I'm here in Florida. Um, But yeah, so hey, I want before we you know before we jump into stuff, we got a bunch of news here. We're going to be breaking down outfielders today, the deepest fantasy position, particularly in dynasty, and we'll get into that in a moment. But I wanted to sort of bring some attention to the fantasy summit that we had last Saturday. It was a blast. You and I got to sort of share hosting duties with JJ. I think he did four or five sessions. I did four or five sessions. But we also got to be panelists on one session as well, which, as we were saying off air, it was far more relaxing being the panelist versus the host (laughs) because you didn't have to keep the, the conversation going. I got to do one on Stuff Plus with Eno where we really dug in deep and really got into sort of the nitty gritty details of like pitching and numbers and why what this means and what that means and why a certain pitch ranks highly on models or you know why it's considered to have great stuff um and that's just always a fun conversation i love talking pitching i love me you know when he's talking pitching so kind of you know putting it together was the best of both worlds i really enjoyed that one but you were on a session uh where jj hosted and it was you uh rudy gamble from brass ball and then jordan rosenbaum from prospects live uh, kind of talking about tools and models and kind of what goes into sort of building that sort of thing out. And I thought it was one of the most interesting conversations of the day. I kind of wanted to put you on the spot here and sort of ask you, like, what your takeaways were. And I'm sure you really enjoyed that session. Like, what were sort of the best parts and highlights?
0: Yeah, I mean, Rudy, Gamble, and Rasball and all he's doing there, all his tools and the Streaminator, the Hittertron, the War Room, um, all that stuff. Was kind of like inspiration for me to like step up my game and like try to keep up um and and build my own tools to do the same thing jordan rosenblum uh one of my best fantasy friends um we're always talking we're always like uh exchanging ideas and we're talking about how do we you know figure out adp value dollars and then figure out what the premium is for saves like all this sort of thing and age curves and he, he was showing me the delta method and how you, you have to be careful not to include the last year for for select survivor bias stuff like that so it was great to be on a on a on a panel with like these sort of heroes of mine who are in the pantheon of of data modeling and and colleagues and uh it just yeah it was just really great JJ asking great questions I'm like getting to see like their answers and what i would answer um and yeah, and then hosting and and moderating these panels too same thing. it's uh just the breadth of knowledge that we had on there talking redraft, talking dynasty talking prospects like we we yeah, it was just it was just such a fantastic breadth of of information and knowledge. It was tiring, but it was uh, yes. definitely worth it, I think, for us to do yeah. this every year for sure.
1: yeah, I think you know it's gonna be posted on the site. I believe today on Friday all the sessions are being edited up and posted so you'll be able to watch each session. Um, From, you know, throughout the day, there's over nine hours of conversation there, kind of spanning everything from, you know, redraft strategy, sleepers and redrafts, sleepers and dynasty, dynasty builds and strategy. I thought the NFBC conversation was tremendous um, that you that you moderated. Um, And there was just so much information that you could take away, even for folks that were experienced players. It's just so hard to really know. At an expert level or a high level, all these different sort of styles of play and leagues and scoring and everything else, and I, I thought we did a really good job there. Um, and I thought your your conversation with with Toby and and Shelley was great too. Um, that that was early on, maybe the second session of the day. The first one was um, myself, Welsh and uh, Eric Cross talking some dynasty sleepers. A lot of good names there. Digging into that one, um, but I sat back and maybe it was because I had just been on air and it was like the first breath of fresh air I had over that early point of the day. Um, but I just thought like the conversation, like, it was a really high level conversation in terms of strategy with like Toby, yourself and Shelly, all folks who have performed really well, um, you know, in a variety of formats, but like industry competitions as well. You guys have, you know, um, some serious track record and uh, you know, it, it's sometimes nice just to sit back and like be the person taking in the content as opposed to creating it, frankly. So, um, but anyway, I don't want to go too long on that go and check it out. It was a great day. We'll be doing this every year and maybe expanding out to some different events um, over time. But uh, yeah, sort of a first one, you know, it was, uh, it was nice to, I guess, not to say the negative, but get it out of the way and sort of you know what it was like. And okay, these are the things we could do better, etc. cetera. But um, I think overall it went really, really well. Who has not had things go well for them are a few different players here who have had early camp injuries, some catastrophic, one that kills me because I was banking on this guy uh, being, filling my middle infield spot and potentially being a breakout this year for the Dodgers. That's Gavin Lux, pretty ugly injury out for the season, knees blown out, not great to see. Sort of what's your initial reaction here with Lux and, and who do you think the winners could be? Cause this isn't like the Dodgers in previous years where they had the next man up. That was easy, you know, plug and play guy for fantasy or whatever right as we've seen Seeger and turner and you know now lux it's like all right like they're running out of options and they really don't have much depth there outside of like miguel rojas so are you are you buying in on rojas sort of where are you at with this whole lux injury or are you kind of if you if your roster you're maybe looking for a, an option on another team right now
0: so yeah. Terrible. You sent me, you sent me the, the tweet saying uh, the Gavin Lux injury looks bad. And it was like definitely wincible I watched it twice. And then that was it. I couldn't watch it anymore. Um, so I, my condolences to Gavin Lux. Um, I mean, I guess it's Miguel Rojas, but for me, I think it's Chris Taylor and Miguel Vargas. So Chris Taylor is going to be getting some action at short. Miguel Vargas is, I mean, he's going to be playing now. I mean, they don't have any options. Um, Mookie Betts will get some value in fantasy leagues because he'll probably play second base some too. They're going to probably be moving people around. I heard Dave Roberts saying Mookie Betts getting uh, some action at second. Chris Taylor at short. He's working on a throwing program to play short. So I actually I set the min on Miguel Vargas today in TGFBI by taking him in the 12th round. He's first base eligible. He will get second base um, and maybe left field. Um, I just think that it's going to be more playing time and plate appearances for Chris Taylor, Miguel Vargas, probably Miguel Rojas. Um, yeah, and all at the expense of Gavin Lux, who we had talked about last time as being you know going yeah. to drive line, putting on weight, increasing bat speed. It's just it's too bad. I wanted to see what was going to happen because that's going to be that would have informed my you know my future seasons to see if drive line information like that is yeah. you know actionable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I, I totally forgot that he had kind of let off the show twice now as like the big news of the week. But last week we didn't have a lot of bad news. We really just sort of had good news to talk about this week. Not so much. We'll move on to another injury here. Um, Brendan Rogers, who was a highly touted prospect. It took a while to break through. He sort of showed some flashes in the last couple of years. I had this guy in, in a 30 team league as my second baseman. And, you know, I, Actually, turned out some pretty good offers that I'm very much regretting not taking now. Um, But, you know, shoulder injury potentially out for the season, according to what Bud Black said, that it might cost him the year. That's really concerning long term, too. We're like, Lux, we see knee knee injuries. Guys come back from that, Um, especially if there's some power. If you can get his legs back, maybe it will take a year or two. Shoulder stuff is kind of the final frontier in terms of baseball injuries, pitchers, hitters. These shoulder injuries we saw with, like, a Cody Bounder, for example, um, it can really end. It can really sidetrack a guy's career. Pitcher side, Brennan Brennan McKay. I mean, Brennan McKay was a top 15, 20 prospect. He got DFA'd last year. I mean, you know, shoulder injuries can really put a damper on guys. And you may not, I I just don't know. It's like Rogers even going to return to form again. Um, How would you handle Rogers right now if you roster him in a fantasy? Because I could see just. Yeah, you're not going to drop them, but you may take what you can get.
0: Yeah, I mean, these ones are tough because you, if you have him, you have been invested and you don't want to just sell short if he's going to bounce back. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said, a couple podcast ago, like they're the vultures that start circling and be like, oh, I'll give you an eighth round pick for Brendan Rogers. And so it's, it's often off putting. It's funny though, call back to the fantasy summit. Brendan Rogers was a, a topic in a couple of my sessions. Cause we were he was in redraft. One of the sort of the targets and sleepers because his ADP was so much lower than what his like projected uh, performance was going to be. So he was sort of like the second base target after you get through the, the big, you know, the big 10 or whatever it is, that he was the the main target that we, Shelly and Toby, we talked about it. We talked about it with, uh with Steve Weimer and, and Rob DiPietro. It's like, that's the guy in the 15th round or whatever. It's Brendan Rogers because he's the value. So it's, it's upending people's builds, pre-draft builds right now. Um I think in terms of who's going to, who's going to benefit from this, although it's hard to talk about, who's going to benefit from an injury. um, I assume Huris Montero will get third, and Ryan McMahon may move to second. Ryan McMahon has been playing some good defense. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. What do you What do yeah. you think is going to how How's it going to shake out? Roster resource has Alan Trejo right now at second base. It, it could
1: be. It could be Trejo. But I will say this: I'm going to sort of take the same approach that you took with the with the with the Lux injury, and I think that this maybe puts a little bit more certainty in terms of tovar breaking camp which i actually thought was going to happen anyway but now i think tovar you can pencil him in as their shortstop you know it it, trejo is probably if he's going to steal any time it's probably going to be over at second base but from a fantasy perspective i do think montero at third be interesting i just don't know having watched montero in the minors quite a bit over the years i just don't know if he can handle the third base position every day i've always thought of him as a a long-term first baseman We'll see how they play it out. I will say this: with the shifting rules and the way that Ezekiel Tovar covers ground between second and third base, they could probably have the worst defensive second base, a uh, third base, uh, third baseman in baseball there, and his numbers would look okay, you know, because Tovar would be would be boosting him up a little bit. Um, Tovar is an absolute like all world defender. Uh, he is. I've said it before. I said it on the Rockies podcast last week. He's probably the best. Shortstop defender that I've personally seen in the minors. And I know that the organization thinks incredibly highly of his makeup. Um, this is a guy that didn't go home during the pandemic uh, to Venezuela. Actually, he didn't return home until January of 2022, I believe, or December of 2021. So he was here for uh, the better part of two years in Arizona at the complex, working on a swing, working. He's very coachable. Etc. If he's healthy and ready to go, I think Tovar might end up being the guy that benefits the most from this because there's now certainty behind his playing time. And I think with some of the options that are there, just the defensive value brings a lot to the table for that Rockies team.
0: I like to hear that. I took uh, Ezekiel Tovar in Tout Wars. That just happened on Tuesday afternoon. Um, do you think that Nolan Jones is now going to get going to break camp? You know, that's a possibility.
1: Um, I just don't know how much you're going to play him at third either. Um, he's really more of an outfielder at this point. You know, none of these guys are great defensive options at third base. If he out hits Montero, sure. I mean, all these guys are 40 men on the 40 man roster. So that's one element I always try to factor into stuff of who's going to break camp, who isn't, who has an opportunity. When they don't have to make a 40 man move to put a guy in the 26 man roster that kind of really makes it a little bit more certain so yeah I think um I think it's a possibility um I don't dislike Jones's skill set either and he started to make a little bit more contact last year which had always been kind of an issue he's a very passive hitter started swinging a little bit more still has good approach what is going to walk a lot if you're in an OBP or a points league he's definitely more of a target for me standard five by five i'm a little more wishy-washy i think i prefer uh montero and standard five by five i just think that there's there's more average upside but you know it, it's kind of you know six six one way half a dozen the other um yeah i don't know if you have any thoughts on jones at all
0: i, I don't know i don't know how to read jones i i i i i must refer him in OBP. i always kind of i always had him in the same bucket as will benson um, I think Will Benson maybe a bit better because he's got the speed element and, and yep. probably better athlete. But um, it was always like OBP, this is the guy you want in BA, sure. in batting average. Not don't really look at him. That's kind of how I was <laughs> was uh, positioning him. But now I guess like you know, in Colorado, and now maybe with the playing time opportunity, Nolan Jones kind of looks interesting. I know since I'm in a TGFBI draft right now, I'm trying to think of sort of my late round targets, and I'm just I'm I'm juggling the idea of whether I take Nolan Jones is one of those and, and yes. Tovar I'm, I'm coming up in the zone where you pick Ezekiel Tovar. I'm, I'm uh, am I in the 13th round now. And I'm, I'm considering it highly now, especially after this conversation.
1: Yeah, there you go. Don't give away all your secrets in TGM Yeah. <laughs> we need you to carry it through and, w- and win the overall this year, man. That's, that's the goal, <laughs> you know, um, that's enough with the bad news for now, at least on hitters. Let's take a break from bad news. Let's go into some good news. Jordan Walker has been phenomenal early in camp. He is the talk of spring training. I feel like I'm having Jordan Walker conversations four to five times a day with different people. People in my you know home league are texting me about Jordan Walker. I had conversations with Gray and Rudy from Rasball about Jordan Walker recently, um, and a few other folks. And we've had some conversations about him as well. And I you know I, I cover the Cardinals. Um, you know, Jordan, I've said it before. Jordan's probably my favorite athlete in the world of any sport. I love the guy. Uh, I had an opportunity to sit down with him and Mason Wynn, uh, the the Futures game. I got to chat with him around the cage a couple times at AFL. I just love the guy. I think he's a great personality. He's just really easy to root for. And he is a tremendous talent with great impact. Did a video on him actually on YouTube. Go check that out if you haven't. Kind of broke down some of the numbers, etc. But I have been told that Walker is legitimately in – a camp battle there is a solid chance that he could break camp he's competing now for a corner outfield spot i'm kind of hearing it's between him and Nukbar. i don't know if that means new who's one of my favorite sleepers we'll get into that a little bit i don't know if that means new slides to dh um or if he becomes more of a platoon guy but there is a real chance early on here in camp that walker could break camp with the cardinals and i think he that makes him very very much a target for me in a lot of these different leagues, um, especially with what the upside is, considering what the price probably will be, because there's certainly some risk baked into this. Um, I'm excited. I, I'm really excited to see what sort of happens with, with Jordan Walker. So I guess I want to ask you, um, if Walker does break camp, where would you be targeting? You know, like we find out in two weeks, he's probably going to break camp. Where do you think his adp jumps to is he going in like the top 100 picks do you have him close to corbin carroll um i I think he could i mean the power is huge
0: uh so in the tgfbi draft i'm in now i took miguel vargas in the 12th and then jordan walker went right after and that's without this breaking information from inside sources, <clears throat> that's the person hoping that Jordan Walker gets called up and plays and they're still taking him in the 12th. So obviously that's the floor for where his ADP is. Um, I mean, I see him, I think in his first year, 2010, 20 home runs, 10 stolen bases is kind of not the ceiling and not the floor, but that's like, you'd be happy with that. I think. Um, so I, I don't have him at Corbin Carroll levels yet. Um, Carroll had, you know, a taste of the majors last year. So, you know, maybe he's, he, he's kind of gotten over that, the, the, the jitters of of being in the show. So I don't think he's, he's up that high, but you know, someone who goes 2010 on the, in the Cardinals lineup with all the hitters they have there. So there's going to be counting stats. Um, he's definitely intriguing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
0: we'll, we'll, we'll
1: follow this as it goes along as we do this podcast. Um, but He is definitely somebody that I am fairly interested in in a lot of different formats. Definitely not my NL only, though. I'm definitely not taking him in NL only labor. So if anybody who's in that league is listening to this podcast a few hours before that auction, just don't don't think I'm going to take him. So you're not going to bid me up on Jordan Walker. Um, Anyway, (laughs) let's move on to some bad news. We have a couple of pitcher injuries here. It's bound to happen. We have uh, Joe Musgrove is probably going to miss a few starts at this point with a toe. Um, all these toe injuries. Oh no, between that and the Delauder one. Uh, and then Tyler Glasnow is hurt again, grade two oblique. I I mean, those injuries can can last months. So I'm kind of a little bearish on both of these guys now, even taking the discount into into effect. What are your thoughts on Musgrove and then sort of Glasnow as well?
0: Yeah, so they both got taken. I, I'm going to keep using TGFBI sort of the anchor, the baseline. Um, they were both taken in the same round. Um, I took Musgrove, and I was hoping to get class now on the way back. So my 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 thoughts are this: Musgrove is projected for you know 180 innings. So if he misses a bunch of starts, let's let's call it let's call it 150 innings to be conservative. Um, as long as he's performing the way he is. Uh, like he's expected to, as long as the, the toe injury on his landing foot doesn't affect his mechanics, doesn't make him do some, you know, change to the kinetic chain that he's he's not aware of. And so, you know, maybe the, the fastball's not as flat anymore. or Maybe there's not as much bite to the curve because he's landing gingerly. Um, I still think he's worth targeting. Um, he's probably not going to just miss a couple of starts. He's probably going to miss half of April. Um, San Diego's in the run. For playoffs and World Series, so they're going to want to you know play it properly, so they're not going to rush him. Unless, of course, you know they've started off 0 and 11 or something, and then they they need Joe Musgrove to come back to to right the ship. Um, with Glass now, I kind of think it doesn't really change anything that he's coming off TJ. He was never going to throw more than 120 innings anyway, so maybe it's even better to take him now where he's going to miss the first month and a half, two months, and then just go straight through to the rest of the season. And then you get the full Glasgow now experience. He, he's very, he's very uh, difficult to own because the the skills are so good. The, The production is always so good when he's on the field. It's like the Byron Buxton, but of the, of the pitching realm. Um, I kind of like Glasnow better than Musgrove, I guess is what I'm trying to say, because I'm not I'm not sure the toe injury is just a, yeah, take two two weeks and then you're back. I think there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff. He's got to get his like muscle memory back to get the mechanics like he doesn't want to throw until he's fully healthy. And then he's got to get the muscle memory back. Not that I really know anything about pitching, but that, that's my expectation. And I just don't know. There's so many, so much uncertainty with Musgrove that I'm a bit more nervous about.
1: And if you're not his doctor or the trainer or involved with the team, I mean, it's really hard to know the extent of some of these injuries. And they always downplay them. Um, but I think that's an interesting point on each where this is kind of like the price check, right? Like it's like, you know, the power equipment that you wanted to buy it, but you didn't want to pay full price. They put out a new model, so they discount those by 20%, and all of a sudden you're getting the thing that you wanted for 20% less. With now, that is an interesting take because this kind of puts him into a price point that I like, and it may not impact the total number of innings if he starts the season in May or something like that. It may mean that you have him a little bit later than you had anticipated, right? So, but again, it's – piling up with this guy and you know the i know we always talk about this one it's my favorite jeff zimmermanism but it's sort of like with pitchers past injuries best predictor of future injuries we got more injuries going here he's a big body he's a big guy he's coming off a pretty substantial injury yeah that's that becomes a lot more of a question to me um just because there's a lot of risk there but there was always a lot of risk with glass now especially if you took him early And now it's price checked. So, you know, maybe it's a little bit better. I could see that being um, sort of of impact, but just spent 20 minutes or so on news. So let's jump into the meat of this podcast, the real meal. We've had the appetizer. You know, we're 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 ready. We've had our first drink. We're jumping into the dinner. Um, Outfielders are insanely deep. I know that we were talking about this before we got on air but you go through like the first 12 names on this list and it is some of the best fantasy players in every format Soto Rodriguez Acuña Tucker Judge Alvarez Tatis Trout Betts Harper Michael Harris Corbin Carroll I mean not only are these you know top few round sort of players they are also some of like the sexiest names to own that you're building your team around. If you have three of these guys in your dynasty league, you're probably have a pretty ch- high chance of like winning most of your hitting categories, you know? Um so I guess sort of like big picture thoughts here on the on the outfield group, because we'll get into some of our targets in a minute. Um yeah, I mean, this is this is this is there's no position that's this deep, even shortstops, which I know we went hundred on.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're making a dynasty list, and let's like you said that the first ten names there are are basically ten of the first 15 names in a redraft. They are they're in that sweet spot where Julio Rodriguez, Michael Harris, Corbin Carroll, they they did enough in the majors to sh- show that it seems like they are gonna meet their potential, and they're so young that everyone wants like possibly they're gonna build on what they did. So Julio Rodriguez, I've seen go like one one in redraft and obviously that makes sense in a dynasty because he's so young but in a redraft it makes it kind of makes sense on some level too um so yeah it's just it's so deep we went 150 names plus prospects and like the last hundred the last names in the 150 like jorge soler carrie carpenter like these are these are people who are still relevant in redraft so it just goes to show the depth of the position
1: Yeah, absolutely, and so I kind of wanted to to sort of pick out a couple of names here around the top 20. The first question I'm going to ask kind of ties into a conversation we already have. If Walker breaks camp, we have him ranked 21 right now. How high do you push Walker up? I think personally, I'd move him to 13 and move Arizona, you know, uh, Robert Jimenez down. How high would you push up Walker if he does break camp? Because I think that that adds a little bit more immediacy uh, at 21 years old. So he has the age advantage there too. And there's some speed and there's a ton of power.
0: I think that's the right spot because I think if you did a poll of, would you trade Jordan Walker for Luis Robert or Randy Rosarena? I think half the people would say Robert it's because he's done it already. And you're hoping Jordan Walker becomes what Luis Robert is. And then the other half saying, no way it's totally Jordan Walker. We know what Luis Robert is. Jordan Walker can beat that. Andy's younger, et cetera. So I think that's the exact spot. Um, would you trade Luis Robert for Jordan Walker? I think I know the answer.
1: I think I would. Yeah, I think I would. I would definitely do Erez Arena and then, yeah, Robert. Yeah, I, and after that, I don't even have any questions. I think Carol is sort of a, a barrier there. Like, I, I would not trade Walker
0: for Carol. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that
1: yeah and then the next question i wanted to ask another sort of buzzy name here we have jackson cheerio 16 right now i know that internally at ba we love jackson cheerio we have him ranked super high josh norris has a full portrait of jackson cheerio like on his back tattooed um josh if you are listening to this that's that's true you know it um so he's sort of a divisive name though because he's so young But when we look at the performance and we look at how young he was with that performance, got up to double A for six games or so, whatever, but really performed across both levels of a ball. And I don't think the plan coming out of 2021 was to have this guy in full season ball as, as early as they did. But I think they saw him in camp. They saw how good he was. We started to get some sort of whispers and reports from scouts that were out there in Arizona like this guy is special i think he is incredibly special i think the contact and approach is going to get even better it's at a point now where it just needs to tick up a little bit to sort of be in that really nice range where you're kind of leaving everything and the power and bat speed and athleticism and twitch it's tremendous and he's probably gonna be able to run a little bit too so yeah i mean for me i kind of view churio a little bit like the way i viewed ronald acuna when he was a prospect not to say that he will turn into Ronald Acuna, but I think it's that sort of an exciting player that he could be in the majors at 19. and It wouldn't shock anybody.
0: Yeah. I think I personally think Churio is maybe less speed than Acuna and more power. Um, I think we have him in the right spot. It's exactly the same sort of thing that like, I wouldn't trade Churio. I wouldn't trade Robert or a Rosarena for Churio now but I know I would regret it. And I think half the people would and half the people wouldn't. And then, but we have them ahead of, say, a Suzuki, Byron Buxton, people who, Cedric Mullins, who have some questions, whether they'll keep it up, whether this is their ceiling, whether or not they're going to be injury prone. Um, and so I think we have them in that right area. But, like, Jackson Churio can obviously be in that top five very easily you say he could be in the majors at 19. yeah so that's like juan soto that's like ronald acuna that's we're talking about the stratosphere of dynasty talents so it's definitely within the realm of possibility and uh yeah i think that's why we have him so high obviously yeah and i think it is more power than speed than acuna
1: you know um but i think it's just like when i look at the swing the explosiveness the bat speed stuff like that like i tend to isolate sometimes on what guys do in the box and yeah, I think that that's an appropriate way to sort of phrase him. Um, all right, cool. I think there was a couple of names up top I wanted to talk about. Let's get into some of our targets. Um, my first target was James Wood. I was greedy, so I picked two. I also grabbed Lars Newbar. You had a target of Emmanuel Rodriguez. We have two of the top sort of outfield prospects here in the game. Talk to me about why you like Rodriguez, and I think there's probably some commonality with the reasons I like wood, but I want to put you on the spot here and talk a little bit about Emmanuel Rodriguez and a guy that's really moved up forwards quite a bit.
0: Yeah. He, he just, he didn't play that long before he had a knee injury and that's probably what's kind of holding him back from skyrocketing that there, there's a bit of, of, of conservatism on whether or not, you know, let, let's see him do it over a longer period of time. But in that, that 200 plate appearances, he had an 18% walk rate, which was basically a 500 on base percentage. He had a, a chase rate of only 12%. So his his pitch recognition is basically elite. It, it doesn't get any better than that in the minors. And then the power, the exit velocities and all that was just so great. So the only thing holding back is the, this knee injury where he had to have surgery. Um, he's got the power. The contact maybe isn't as great, but the power is so good and, and the pitch recognition is so good that it kind of supersedes the, you know, the average contact. Um, he's so young. So really it's just the injury. So he doesn't have the sample size. He doesn't have the sort of the the history of, of production behind him to make us really feel confident. Um, and then, you know, there's always questions coming back from injury, whether or not he'll get back to hundred percent, but yeah, I, I think he will, he will. I'm betting on the, that he will for sure. And he he's my target especially at LBP.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I have sort of a similar guy here um, in Jameswood, part of the Juan Soto trade. One of my favorite prospects in baseball. Um, we have him sort of uh, at 22, so just outside of the top 20 in terms of outfielders. It's huge power. I mean, he's a big guy at six foot seven, 240 pounds, but it's an athletic build. Um, you know, he's going to stick in the outfield. He can run a little bit. Another guy that, doesn't chase very much really good, actually pretty good contact too. And then enormous power and there might even be more power to come. Um, and he's so big and long, kind of similar to, to Jordan Walker where he uses those long levers to sort of like hit balls all over the zone and, and has really good feel for the barrel. I'm really excited about, about wood. Um, I wish I, I rostered him in more leagues. He's a really tough guy to sort of pry away from, from dynasty managers. Um, I know I got him probably fairly late in Highlander last year. And that's one of those times you're like, oh, thank God I drafted this guy because it makes my team just so much more enjoyable to look at and think about long-term. Also gives me a really good trade uh, chip if I decide to do that. But, um, yeah, I think this is one of those guys that kind of falls into my sort of bucket of, like, you know, above average – of average or better contact – average or better approach and then you know plus power and i love the guys with the impact like this so yeah wood is definitely one for me that i'm, I'm all over um other target that i had picked out here was lars Newt bar. kind of similar reasons you know above average contact the strikeout rate and walk rate were pretty much even in the second half i think i wrote that up um for the magazine for my you know my breakout hitter was nupar i guess my only question now with him is just like how does jordan walker kind of throw you know a, a wrench into those plans a little bit but um maybe not I mean you know maybe he ends up at DH and you know that means Yepes is sort of the odd man out they got a lot of options there I, I'm praying that Duke Bart gets 500 um at bats because this is a plate appearance this is a guy that has the approach he's you know an elite walk guy there's good power the contact is pretty good and he had way outlier baby last year i mean i think it was like 240 or like 245 something in that range i would imagine that regresses closer to 300 i know that he's a fly ball hitter but not so dramatically that you know it, it should be that high i'm kind of interested to see sort of how it shakes out if he gets those plate appearances and he gets a little bit more luck on balls and play this year this could be a guy that breaks out big has a pretty good batting average i could see a you know, 275 season with 25 home runs and a lot of RBIs and runs because he's in a really good St. Louis lineup that seems to be getting better and better by the week.
0: Yeah, uh, Carlos Collazo uh, this week did a, an article about uh, NCAA hitters, and he kind of plotted contact on the x-axis and exit velocity on the y-axis, which is my favorite graph to use. If you did the same for 2021 minor leagues, Lars Newbar. So this is before the quote-unquote breakout last year. He was in the top right corner of that graph. His contact and his exit velocities were off the chart. So like that portends future success, contact and uh, exit velocity. So yeah, really, it's it's a question of, of opportunity. If he makes it into the major league camp, he's starting, he's getting regular plate appearances, everything you said there, 275, 25 home runs, That that's almost baked in, as far as I'm concerned. If he's going to get 600 plate appearances, that's, that's a given for me. So he, it's, it's really just a question, and that's why I'm, I'm hesitant to, to buy in in 2023 in redraft leagues. It's I'm hesitant to buy in uh, Lars Newbar, just especially because of the Jordan Walker news. It sounds like he's going to come out of camp, possibly. So Newbar is kind of the odd man out. And and speaking of that, Dylan Carlson then also gets a kind of a boost, because it sounds like he's already, you know, permanently in the in the in the lineup so maybe dylan carlson gets a bit of a boost a boost so
1: perhaps for now i mean i think it's the center field defense that's going to keep him there he also was another guy kind of like jonathan india last year where he dealt with a lot of injuries um but he was also he was my breakout hitter last year so apparently i picked the wrong cardinal too often so we'll see what happens with that but before we get into our dynasty sleepers let's take a quick break here dylan all right and we're back uh fantasy podcast this is Jeff Ponce I'm with Dylan White we are talking through our outfield rankings we just went through our targets we're going to go into a pair of sleepers that we each have here before we sort of wrap things up Uh, I'm really interested the first um sleeper that you have here is Estuary Ruiz we have him just outside of the top 50. we all know about the speed we all know about the numbers last year been in three organizations now. Do you think he finally sort of finds some flow and playing time at the major league level? Gets consistent at bat, so we can see him do something crazy like steal fifty bases. I, there's no reason that A shouldn't just let all these guys run, frankly.
0: Yeah, I certainly hope so. I think I think he he got a sag in his value because of the the three teams. Because he, you know, people are are digging into his exit velocity and they're saying, oh, he has no power. This is all a mirage. And I think we overcorrected by by downgrading his abilities. I think he's minimum thirty stolen bases if he gets six hundred plate appearances. I think his defense is strong enough, especially on an Oakland Athletics team, that he should get regular playing time. And if that's the case, then he's definitely undervalued at, at where he's going. Even in redraft, he may not have the greatest average, especially this year because he's you know getting acclimatized to the majors, etc. But you know, thirty stolen bases uh minimum 10 home runs i still think he can get into 10 home runs i just think that he's undervalued for where people have overcorrected and and really been down on, on where he was he he was such a darling uh last year cuz especially cuz he he dominated so much in the minor leagues um that people kind of really really threw cold water on him when he struggled in the majors
1: yeah. And I think he's one of these guys, I guess the one question I have is you're starting to hear like, it could be Loriano with Blade in center field. And then Seth Brown has been getting some running left. I don't know if that's because they want Noda, who is the second pick in the rule five draft to make the team. And I don't know. I don't know how that shakes out, but he seems to me like a guy that maybe you're kind of like a little nervous over the first month of the season. And then there's an injury, something happens and he gets his runway to sort of do what he does and sticks in the lineup permanently. You know, I wouldn't fade him too much because of sort of the uh, the blade addition, but it sort of is what it is. Um, my first target here is somebody that you wanted to fight me. I'm sure you were cursing under your breath when I took him. That is uh, Samuel Zavala, outfielder from uh, San Diego Padres. He was the youngest player to play at a full season level last year. He was 17. Um, played in the Midwest League, I think it was 33 games, hit 254, 355, 508, 13.5% walk rate, kept the strikeout rate fairly respectable considering the age and leveled only 26%. And he's facing a lot of guys sort of out of the draft. There's power there too. I'm sort of sold on the exit velocity numbers. Um, Over that sample, he had an 88.2 mile per hour average exit velocity. The 98th percentile exit velocity was 103.5, which is great for that age. And the hard hit rate was just under 40%. So I think as you see this guy mature, probably add some strength, he's a really exciting prospect. And this is a guy that I, you know, when we do our breakouts in a week or two with Matt Eddy, this is a guy that I think all of us are probably going to be targeting as a potential breakout this year and someone that could burst his way into the top 100 and, you know, who knows where he ends up landing by
0: the end of the season. What are your thoughts on Zavala? Because I know he's one of your favorites as well. Yeah, I think he literally is my favorite prospect right now. If you if you take what he's done, home run per per plate appearance, and you do the you know, apply the age curves, historical age curves for someone at that age, even at that level, he he looks like he's gonna peak at 30 home runs. It looks like he's gonna peak at like mid 30 home runs. Um, so a lot can happen between now and then. He's 18, He turned 18, I think, two weeks before he went to Low A. Uh, he was the youngest in the in in full season ball. A lot can happen, but a lot can happen in the good way too. So. I think uh, you, you may have to wait, but I think thirty home runs, corner outfield profile is in the cards. Um, I think the Padres—he's—he's he's one of their crown jewels, you know, with Jackson Merrill and, and Dylan Lesko. They—they want you know he's one of the the big three that they want to make sure you know is is the, sort of the crown jewel of the organization in five years or so.
1: Yeah, and you know the one thing that we've seen time and time again with the Padres is they have a guy who sort of bursts onto the scene. Every single season. And they sort of had Merrill and him. And we haven't gotten like a full taste of either of those guys yet. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But I think they're, they're really exciting. You have another sleeper here that I really like. And he's a guy that always shows up when I sort of do my data searches of like sort of a minimum contact rate, minimum walk rate, and then the exit velocity, 90th percentile or average or hard hit rate, however I sort of break down um, the batted at ball stuff. But Tyler Gentry, um, you know, was at Alabama. Got drafted a few years ago. He was sort of a standout uh, over the first two months. He had an injury sort of baked into the few weeks um, in the Midwest League. He was the best hitter in the Midwest League out the gate. You know, ends up going up to um, uh, uh, Double A. Performs in Double A. I, I, I mean, like, I guess, I guess, sort of the question with with him is just like. Could he see the majors this year? Sort of what are your expectations? Because this is definitely a guy that has a pretty polished plate profile. And, you know, with sort of this young core here with the Royals, if things sort of get going, it would be kind of interesting to see if, you know, he could find his way up to the majors by the end of the year. What are your thoughts
0: on? on I think he's one of the most underrated prospects in the minors right now. He put up a 300, 400, 500 slash line across two levels. He's got 50s or 55s across all the tool grades and no one's really talking about him. I, I know people are, but it's like that that's Brian Reynolds type of thing. He's in the he's in the Kansas City Royals where their hitting has really taken a turn in the positive way with MJ Melendez, Vinny Pasquantino. Like it's just they seem they, they may struggle on, on the pitching development side, but on the hitting development side they're doing quite well. He's got a nice arm in right field. I kind of think He's going to make it to the majors this year. He'll probably be in AAA, but I just feel that he was so consistent and just so solid across the board last year that he's just he's going to knock on the door early in the season, and then he's going to be called up in the, in, in the second half.
1: Yeah, I agree there, and also I want to make a correction. I said the same as Zavala was in the Midwest League. He was not. He was in the Cal League, so that for for what it's worth i made a mistake there apologies i sometimes forget that the midwest league <laughs> isn't uh isn't isn't low a any longer you know they flipped that around on us and just made us all messed up um so my my next sort of target here is somebody i think i've talked about a ton um hasn't debuted stateside yet should this year that's host way paula um really interesting player he's been getting sort of yordan alvarez comps from a lot of folks that have you know been around or you know coaches folks that have coached against him. He's Stefan Marbury his cousin that's the thing I always bring up because I think it's really interesting. He's a pretty good athlete for size, um, really good plate skills and a guy that I think has some projectable power as well. So he's a, he's another really interesting name for me that you know I, I, I want to roster him in as many leagues as I possibly can. Um, there's certainly some risk here, but I tend to think when the plate skills are good, and there's a lot of projection within the body and the power. Um, there's no reason sort of um, not to go after a guy like that. I don't know if you have any sort of DePaula thoughts here as we wrap up or not.
0: I have DePaul in a couple leagues. Um, I have, I made a comp tool for the minor leagues where it basically takes the profile walk rate, strikeout rate, ground ball rate, home run rate, stolen base rate, et cetera. And it finds comps historically since, you know, the last 20 years or so. Um, and his comps, I, I don't have them offhand, but it was like Raphael Devers, Julio Rodriguez. It's like it's ridiculous the stuff that he was doing um at that age, at that level. Um, I really like DePaula. I think I mean you took DePala, you took Samuel Zavala. Um, like you said, I was ruining your name and then shaking my fist at the sky. Um, <laughs> the, the, those are two of my favorite prospects. Them and even Yasser Mercedes on the, on the Minnesota Twins um he's been getting a lot of buzz uh, a high profile international name a couple years ago and he really did well um last year power speed blend as well but like those three and, and maybe add miguel blaze so miguel blaze josue De Paula, samuel lozavala and yasser mercedes are sort of like the four that are poised to to jump up uh all the prospect lists despite not even really playing in full season ball um, for a substantial amount of time. So those are my four. DePala being in there just you know speaks volumes to what I think of them. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think uh, these are all great targets. You can go and read the rest of our rankings here uh, on Baseball America. We're going to have the pitcher rankings out sort of uh, Tuesday, I believe, in next week, and then we'll follow that up, I think, on Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday with a full dynasty list, all the positional rankings together and ranked out. And then the offseason, excuse me, then the preseason for us kind of really begins. That's when I'm going to like jet off to spring training full time. You're going to start diving in on some other deep dives on different things. So uh, be on a lookout for that. But Dylan, anything you want to say here before we sort of wrap up the show?
0: No, I guess stay cool if you can in in Florida while I'm trying to dig out my car and my home from the the blizzard I'm about to have unleashed upon me
1: yeah i i wish you well with that and uh, i hope it's a pretty snowfall and you get to cozy by the fire and watch some you know tv or netflix or whatever um we'll figure it or do some do some rankings think about some baseball watch some spring training games you got spring training games going on college games it's baseball what am i talking about you don't need to watch netflix any longer but uh, i want to thank everybody for tuning in don't forget to like and subscribe we appreciate all the great feedback that we've been getting on these shows we're gonna keep on rolling them out there and. best luck in your drafts guys cheers everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time